What's up, you freaks? Uh, welcome back to Rabbit Hole Recap with Matt and Marty. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a Monday, uh, October 8th, 2018. Recording a little bit earlier today. It's around 345. The price of Bitcoin is at $6,633. And again, we have a beautiful sponsor this week, same as last week, and that is the Cash App. You already know that the Cash App is the number one finance app on the App Store. What you might not know is that you can also put Cash App in your wallet with the Cash Card. It's the only debit card that offers instant rewards and comes packed with premium features not even a credit card can offer, like Boost. Uh, get up to 10% off at uh, Whole Foods, Ch- Chipotle, Domino's, Shake Shack. You got a favorite coffee shop in your neighborhood. A dollar off every day. It's pretty money, uh, especially in this this coffee market that we're experiencing right now. The cash card puts you in control of your money with extra in-app safety features that let you pause your card with a touch. Unlike your credit card, there are no fees uh, ever, and a credit and a credit check isn't required to get one. So you just sign up for the app, order the card. You can design it yourself. You get to put a cool little signature. If you're into Bitcoin, you can put the Bitcoin money symbol sign there. You can get really creative with it. Uh, express yourself, you know. Swears they'll let you express yourself with these cash app cards uh, and their boost program. So we're not using the other apps anymore. Uh, I actually deleted them from my phone the other week. All of them except for the cash app. So visit the App Store or Google Play Market to download the cash app now and get your free cash card today. Do it, freaks. It's the best app out there for buying Bitcoin, in my opinion. And that was the official cash app. Uh, I want to, again, obviously, my co-host Matt is here, but we have a third guest with us today, or a third person with us today in the apartment studio, and that is Murad Mamadov. He's come to shoot the shit with us about some of these topics today. Murad, welcome back to the pod. Uh, glad to be here. Hello, uh, Marty. Hello, Matt. Um, thanks for the invite once again. Yeah. Matt, how are we feeling today? Well, I'm, I'm feeling... I'm feeling pretty bullish, so it was important that we that we brought our bear on, so that everyone could see both sides. Yeah, we've got opposing views in uh, on this couch right now. Uh, Matt Matt has a a tennis league that he that begins tomorrow night on Tuesday night, so we're not going to be recording on Tuesdays anymore. So, a little bit of a docs, but just to just to explain why we're we're putting this out a day earlier from now on. Um, the tennis league's in Austin, Texas, so if you're interested, you can search there. Um, so Murad, we brought you on. You're the bearish bull we know. You're pretty bearish right now. You are uh, the most outspoken bull on a long-term perspective. Uh, why don't you walk us through what you're thinking right now uh, from market cycle perspective? So before I delve deeper into this, I'd like to say that there are few people on the surface of the planet who are more bullish than me in the long term. However, and I, and I, every time I go into any podcast or even talk to anybody in real life, I strongly reaffirm my belief that this is going to be um, a $100 trillion asset sometime in the future. However, um, I don't think that precludes me from being pragmatic and from being sort of realistic short term and being bearish for another month or two. Um, I think that we are only roughly about halfway through this bear cycle. Um, and I think in terms of time, and I think that, um, the bottom isn't quite in yet. And I think I expect at least one more sort of major leg down, uh, before we sort of fully bottom out. And, um, my sort of thinking comes from both sort of a mixture of fundamentals and technicals. Um, 
I'm and, a huge TA slut these days. Um, You're in love with TA. Guilty as charged. However, <laughs> 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 however, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I like to combine sort of everything I can get my hands on, but um, a lot of the fundamental indicators uh, and many of the technical, in, like sort of long-term technical indicators are still um, signaling that there is a little bit more downside uh, that is more likely than not, in my opinion. Uh, of course, this is highly debatable, um, but MVT, um, MVT signal for what they're worth, um, MVRV that me and uh, my partner, David Puyel, recently put out, um, and several other indicators are sort of signaling that there's a little bit more downside still to come. Of course, uh, I could be wrong. Uh, there is uh, always a subjectivity component to this, but that is my opinion right now, yeah. Yeah, my gut feeling, just personally, just from sort of the uh, the state of the consciousness of crypto Twitter in general and, and what people are calling for, I think we're going to go down a bit further. Uh, I particularly like what Joe Weisenthal said when he was on the podcast. Like The bubble has truly burst when people start losing jobs and respectable finance journalists stop going on crypto podcasts because uh it's it's too embarrassing for the reputation matt do you do you see any credence in this uh short-term view well i mean i don't know if we'll hit that point i mean i i think that in 2014 2015 we hit that point yeah uh we've come a long way you know i don't know if if this cycle they'll there'll be an embarrassing moment for a lot of the, you know, blockchain, not Bitcoin people and, you know, altcoin pushers. But for actual Bitcoiners and Bitcoin proponents, I don't know if it's going to be that devastating. I, you know, I don't, I'm not in the business of calling bottoms and that's my investment strategy as well. Um, So, I mean, I have, I have two big questions for Murad. I would say, how low do you think we're going to go? And what would happen to change your mind? Um, so all things considered, I think that we will bottom somewhere. And uh, I'm talking sort of a prolonged multi, multi-month multi bottom somewhere between four and 5,000. Um, 40, 43 to 44,000 in particular, if I had to narrow it down. But uh, sort of that general area is where I expect the bottom to happen. And what, what, has to, what would happen over the next couple of weeks for you to change your opinion on that? Is there anything you're watching that you would be like, okay, I'm not, I'm not a bear anymore? Well, if we sort of close on the weekly above 8,500, then of course um, that my line of thinking would be invalidated and I would be much more open to a bullish position um, at that point. But um the last sort of i mean just one of the dozens of things i'm looking at uh, first and foremost like the the descending triangle that we've been in uh for the past several months is still intact um the a lot of sort of the local tops for bitcoin were rejected by the 30 uh uh 30 30 week moving average or the 200 uh daily moving average and um right now as of right now, it stands somewhere around 7,200. As of right now, I see that as a very strong resistance. Even if we do bounce from here, I don't think we breach um, 7,000, 7,100 at most. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
as I've already mentioned, I'm still sort of a, a little bit more bearish in the short term, but um, I will be a, a buyer of last resort in the uh, in the end by the end of the year, especially in Q1 of next year. And uh, I expect Bitcoin to bottom somewhere in the beginning of next year. And I'll definitely be sort of stepping in as a value investor myself at, at that point in time. Bang, bang. Well, it's good to know we can count on him. So your mind's only going to change via the price charts. You're not going to pay attention to any like the fundamental news coming out or stuff that we would talk about. So like bear markets, particularly in Bitcoin, I don't think that they end on any one piece of news. I think sort of uh, sellers have to exhaust themselves and a certain amount of time has to pass. Uh, I mean, these cycles of emotion sort of have to wane. Mm-hmm. I think uh, a lot of other um, sort of non-Bitcoin crypto assets and quote unquote blockchain projects they're still uh, viciously overvalued. Still, uh, I do expect I, I do expect them to go uh, much much lower from here. And um, if Bitcoin goes just a bit lower from here, I expect them to sort of collapse. Um, we haven't had a capitulation yet. I mean, the volumes have been dwindling, uh, volatility has been dwindling. Um, a lot of sort of factors have been going down, but I don't think. Um, we need one final capitulation. We need despondency. We need people to to be angry about Bitcoin and this asset uh, class in general. And then we need sort of a prolonged period of apathy. And only then, I think, we can... Um, it, there's still too much hopium, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, people calling for 12,000 this morning, people calling for <laughs> 9,000 immediately. Uh, it's just unrealistic, right? Um, once we exhaust all these irrational bulls, uh, and once sort of people fully exit this market, we need to exhaust all the weak hands. Um, we need more long-term thinkers. We need more long-term hodlers. And mm-hmm. sort of uh, once sort of the bottom is dominated by, by those kinds of people, um, then we can sort of start having a serious conversation about a reversal and moves upwards, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think uh, one event in particular that happened the last couple of days that Brandon Bernstein pointed out on Twitter today was uh, maker price explodes 25% through $750. I didn't even know it was that expensive. Uh, as it gets exposure to Augur and wait for it, 54 more daily active users. So uh, I and- believe maker's market cap went up 160 mil. Uh, for each additional daily active user, that's worth three millions in market cap. So these markets are clearly irrational at the moment. And A16Z just invested in Maker, and they got a discount. They paid like two fifty. They paid two sixty six percent discount. Ma- major league discount. How does how is that even possible? Well, I mean, buy I, that they, they're bulk? doing like infrastructure for three years. There's like other elements to the to the deal. But oh, and it was sold from the from the treasury, the team's treasury. Oh. So they basically like undercut the market and sold it at a discount in bulk to A16Z. What are your thoughts on that? I have zero thoughts. It just it was something that happened. <laughs> if I understand correctly, um, A16Z ha- were already an investor in one of their sort of previous rounds. Uh, something like this might have been in the clause. Perhaps it wasn't. Um, in their in the maker's governance framework, it mo- it doesn't really talk about sort of this side of their uh, decision making process. Um, a lot of people are saying that it's not quite a decentralized autonomous organization as of right now. Um, mm-hmm. I will admit though that Maker is I'm I'm not uh, that big of a fan of the of Ethereum and 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 that particular ecosystem. However, uh, Maker is one of the less than a dozen functional products on uh, on Ethereum, and 
uh, it's very commendable. Despite the um, the 60, 65, 70% collapse of Bitcoin and 80% collapse of, or 85% collapse in the price of Ethereum, uh, Maker and their stablecoin has held up relatively well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I do think that's very commendable. Uh, I'm not sure how well their mo- their uh, crypto collateralized model scales to large amounts and large volumes. That is uh, sort of the next frontier for them. However, um, here's the thing: uh, there is the the amount of quality crypto assets in the space is extremely extremely small. There are what more than like two thousand or five thousand cryptocurrencies, but I would say like there are less than seven like non scams, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, and, and and some would argue even less. Yeah. Um, Maker, their um, sort of governance token uh, is sort of one of those. There is really a hunger for quality in this space. Uh, a lot of crypto funds and crypto asset managers cannot justify holding predominantly Bitcoin. Otherwise, like many of their LPs could just do that themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So they have to sort of deploy into... Uh, other coin, other sort of quote unquote premium crypto assets, and I think that's that's like kind of what's going on with Maker right now as well. And I think uh, the public seeing uh, A16Zs and sort of other institutional investors support in this um, in this way is sort of confident about Maker, and that's why it's it's, it's been attracting a lot of attention over the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, no, that was one thing in particular that people were worried about was Maker uh, during the Ethereum uh, price fall. They were, they were wondering how that was going to affect their their collateralized or whether they're doing to, to make their stable coin. Right. It seems like it, it weathered right. the storm, at least up to this point. So I, I, agree with, uh, I agree with the analysis that Augur itself only has like 50 users right now. Uh, however, I think like we have to be sort of thinking more in the long term. This integration shows that it's very likely that other functional dApps uh, will follow and DAI could become sort of the go-to medium of exchange of, of that whole ecosystem, which would be bullish for DAI, I guess. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think that, um, I, I don't think that Maker will outperform Bitcoin over the next 10 years. I just don't. So I, I really personally don't see that much of a point in, in holding it. Yeah. Um, thank you for the perfect segue fodder uh, because the Yale Endowment has decided that they want to they want to hodl some crypto, and it looks like they're investing in in uh, what's his name Fred or er- Swenson, right? Fred or uh, yeah, well, uh, oh no, they're they're Swenson is allocating to Paradigm, which is Fred Arisom's fund. Arisom's fund, yeah, yeah. Um, this was another reason why I wanted to bring Murad on because you you said a lot of bullish things about Swenson, right? That's right. Um, I mean, it's a well-known fact that David Swenson has been a trendsetter in the endowment space for the last two decades. What he does, uh, the rest of the endowments, um, the Ivy syndicates, uh, the university managers, and just other big asset managers with long-time horizons in general, will undoubtedly uh, copy and follow uh, in the coming years. So if Yale is now investing in crypto funds, I strongly expect this kind of trend to continue going forward. Yeah, no, that's actually one thing my dad was hassling me about like six, seven months ago. He's like, because that's uh, whenever they released their yearly report and they talk about like their alternative investment section. And he was like begging me to reach out to them to be like, they should be getting into Bitcoin. So 
they are usually first movers in the space and seeing them actually move into the space uh is, is huge uh i'm not do you guys know the structure of the fund they're investing in like is it uh predominantly but like I don't think it's what are they doing at what are they doing at Paradigm? Predominantly Bitcoin. Do they have one fund? They have they have different funds or they have a suite of funds. So here's the thing. I believe that um, Yale is investing both. I mean, these are just rumors. Like, don't don't hold me to this information. But I believe Yale has invested in both um, Paradigm and the Andreessen Horowitz new crypto fund. You heard it here first. Right. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, this has <laughs> okay. been this, this been uh, this has been posted like on, this has been posted online for the past week. But um, I think that, um, and once again, these are just rumors. But, uh, but I I think both of these funds will hold somewhere between I don't know ten to ten to thirty percent of their assets in Bitcoin, which is good for Bitcoin. But mm-hmm. um, once like similarly to our previous discussion, they can't just justify holding Bitcoin. Like th- then there there wouldn't be like raison d'etre for them to exist, right? And so, um, I think it, a lot of um, people believe that sort of we're obviously not done with the whole altcoin uh, private placement ICO. Um, discount sort of uh, phenomena uh, in the next bullish run it will continue some of these some of these altcoins will survive new ones will undoubtedly come uh, along as well Andreessen Horowitz and Paradigm of course with the Sequoia and the Coinbase fi- founding pedigree behind them um, they are admittedly uh, well capitalized to benefit from a lot of uh, opportunities mm-hmm. uh, and to get discounts to get uh, into this thing or to get into good op- like quote-unquote good opportunities early to get uh, into some like altcoin private placements early to get into some VC style uh, equity investments early etc and uh, some of those might even outperform Bitcoin like especially on medium-term horizons mm-hmm. and I think like those kinds of things in particular um, these funds will be engaged in um, so yeah, um, th- that's sort of my thoughts on the topic. Yeah, but either way, you know, it's, this is good for Bitcoin. Oh yeah, as the as the the colloquial saying goes. Slowly but surely, uh, it's it seeps further and further into the psyche of the masses. You had Soldier Boy dropping a terrible song, but it was titled Absolutely Bitcoin. Horrible song. Terrible, terrible song, but. All press is good press. All press is good Bitcoin press. Soldiers on. He tweeted. He tweeted Bitcoin last night. I don't know if like Soldier Boy is like who we want to be our, our our saving grace here, but it's happening. I have Litecoins. Bitcoin's my favorite <laughs> one. He's a maximalist. He is a maximalist. I, uh, the the thing I liked about his Bitcoin tweet was it was literally just Bitcoin period, which is that's the tweet I want Trump to tweet. Just nothing. There's no context whatsoever. Maybe Trump uh, paid Soldier Boy to sort of like flight test it for him. No, Soldier uh, before, Boy bought before. some and, you know, through the distributed incentives of Bitcoin, once you buy it, you want to shill it. He said he made 100 racks off of it. What, how, how, what is a rack? I was, a I was rack, talking. I, to I, I, I'm not sure, but I believe I think a, a rack, rack might be $1,000. Ten- so 100 racks would be $100,000. Good for him. Yeah. It's not, let's see. It's not uh, too shabby. Let's see if he can hodl through this bear market that uh, that Murad was describing at the beginning of the episode. Let's see if he's if he's a true hodler, a true believer, or just an attention whore. I think it might be the latter, but we will find out. Soldier boy. Will. I guess we will. 
Soldier Boy. We're gonna see if you can you can Sol- weather Boy this. Karate is toddling. It's important <laughs> for us to say the word as as often as possible. My my take basically on Murad's bear thesis is Murad is going to buy Bitcoin regardless, and uh, he's either going to end up doing it at like forty five hundred or he's going to end up doing it at like eleven thousand. Well, either I'm right and I'll buy it at forty five hundred, or I'm wrong and I'll buy it at eighty five hundred. But I'm buying it either way. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I said. But instead of eighty five hundred, I think you'll be in denial until like they don't say eleven ish. They don't say risk it for the biscuit for nothing. What was the price this time last year? Like about the same, right? Are we about even? Um, Segwit two X was what in like a month. It was Segwit two X was like November second. What's today? Today is October eighth. Was that like forty three hundred? It was at forty three hundred this time last year. Yeah. Did you think it was going to hit twenty thousand? <laughs> no, we had been we had been. <laughs> down in the dumps for so long i didn't think i thought segwit 2x you know who knew what was going to happen i i I thought segwit 2x was going to fail but i thought everything was going to be way messier than it was something some people were heavily uh hedging into bcash during that it turned out to be a poor decision hedging great great idea um no yeah but it'll be interesting to see what happens like but again like we're saying maybe that's fundamental news doesn't matter in the long run, but it is good to see endowment funds stepping into the game. I mean, that's a huge news if if Yale's willing to allocate percentage of their fund uh, just as a trendsetter in that in that particular niche. My my belief is that like that move from three thousand to twenty thousand that we had in twenty seventeen might have been a little too rapid. E- even though Bitcoin's fundamentals are improving, it that change in price still sort of outpaced it and. Obviously, we're in a cooldown period right now, but I believe mm-hmm. that the full cooldown hasn't um, sort of um, completed itself. And in October 2014, you've also had a, a very sort of tight month with very low volumes and very low volatility, mm-hmm. which was followed by um, essentially a subsequent capitulation. Um, yeah. In uh, November, December, and January, right? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, the Bearwell. That, no, the anniversary was uh, a couple days ago, actually. Bear the Bearwell. Yeah. Have any of you guys, by any chance, uh, were part of the assassination on Bearwell on Bitstamp in uh, back then? No, I, I, I had already, I like capitulated into huddle mode. Like I was just, this was probably you know i kept doing my thing i was writing a fucking weekly newsletter but i just thought it was that it was probably a horrible investment uh if you haven't seen the bear well video go watch it it's pretty hilarious i don't we'll link to it but it's uh you literally and it's just like a video of the order book across like what was it 30 hours so the bear well he famously sold thirty thousand bitcoin at three hundred dollars just market sold them all on Bitstamp. So uh, over the period of time that it took for his order to get completely bought by the market, people were just watching the order book and the price, I think it slingshotted up a little bit like immediately after his his order was was filled. Um, so yeah, uh, he, he sold 30,000 Bitcoin again at $300. Uh, probably regrets that decision. <laughs> but then we dropped to, I think we, we dropped to 152 after that. We yeah, but over the course of yeah. the course of nine months. Yes, yeah. So I probably stopped buying like right, right before the bear well. Yeah. The bear well was like I remember that too because it was crazy because he didn't 
he didn't even try any strategy or anything. He just put up a huge, or or she just put up a huge, huge sell order all in the books at once. Somebody, somebody made like the a, drawings, the drawing, great, yeah, remember? the drawing. Um, so okay, then, next topic. Next topic is actually interesting. Uh, we talk about attack vectors here, and how we really need to to think about every attack vector through which Bitcoin can be targeted and. Uh, some news headline this week that made Matt in particular uh, think of the supply chain was the, the big hack in China. So the 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 tiny chip that hardware manufacturers and the U.S. government, I guess, have found in products that were manufactured in China. It's a backdoor to our products and uh, basically our data. Um, and this highlights uh, a very pressing need in the bitcoin hardware wallet space in particular where we need to know that our hardware is not backdoored so so how do we take care of that attack vector uh, but first like can you explain in more detail what happened because well, so first of all there's been a lot of back and forth uh, all the companies involved and of course the chinese government all deny it um and but bloomberg has like basically doubled down i guess so there's it's questionable whether or not this specific story is true. But the idea is that in Chinese factories, while these server chips were being being built, they put a little backdoor chip on the uh, they put a little backdoor on the chip. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then those slip through and they those go in Apple servers and Amazon servers and Department of Defense servers and all this other, you know, highly vital resources. And, and they're being compromised now. This has been speculated forever. We've seen it on smaller scale, like during Snowden. Uh, he was what well, part of the leaks showed that we were the the U.S. government was intercepting uh, Cisco routers and servers, and they were putting back doors in them, and then they were continuing on to their destination. So, regardless of this is true, you should just assume, unfortunately, that every single piece of hardware is compromised. So then, from that point particularly where like Bitcoin is concerned and storing private keys and, and like any kind of private information you have, you have to operate under this mindset, unfortunately. So all your hardware is compromised. You have to use multiple different, you should split up your, don't put all your eggs in one basket, you know, split up among multiple hardware devices, try and use the most trustworthy hardware devices. Simpler is better. That's why it goes two ways with Bitcoin hardware wallets. They're a perfect attack because you know a hardware wallet is being used to store something valuable. But at the same time, they're being they're able to be made really simply. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's harder to camouflage an attack in something that's purpose built, right? So uh, the main rule of thumb is to just nothing that is important or private key should ever touch the internet. You should just never have them. No screenshots, nothing. At least if that happens, at least if you do that, even if the hardware is compromised, someone still needs to like break in your house and like grab the device, Mm -hmm. right? Like they physically have to get the device. So so that's where all cold storage and stuff comes from, right? So like you need to, anything that's important, just don't connect it to the internet. Um, You know, yeah, it's, 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 it's the unfortunate reality we live in. There's no real solution. So you just have to, you know, you have to act accordingly. Yeah. No, know, know the attack surface and, and best practices. So 
uh, I would say hardware wallet. The internet's a big thing. You know, just internet's if you're going to use hardware wallets, use multiple hardware wallets. Maybe put in some cold storage in there. Like, you know, compartmentalize it so that if, if any individual thing is is compromised, then, you know, they don't they don't get everything. Right? Yeah. And and all cloud services, anything you share on a cloud service. I mean, Google came out today, and they also got hacked recently. So any 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 cloud services, you just assume that they're all, all that information is going to be public, and just act accordingly. And use end-to-end -end encrypted, you know, open source tools if you can instead. Yeah, Keybase being one of them. One of my favorite uh, Keybase.io. One of my favorite end-to-end -end encryption tools. Really cool product they have there. I think it's an underrated one too. Yeah, that one's good. Murad, do you have any? Uh, thoughts on this topic in particular um nothing nothing in particular comes to mind but uh i from what i hear sort of a lot of the reports seem to have been a little bit overstated uh, mm -hmm. with the sort of the amount of um really the amount of infiltration that they were able to perpetrate um once again sort of i'm, I'm not a hardware expert so um odell i believe is definitely sort of more well versed in this particular area. <laughs> what was also interesting is I, I saw it came out today that Bloomberg pays bonuses if you move the markets. What? It's like it's like kind of makes sense because they like want like groundbreaking reporting that's like super important. That's their argument, and it's like on a case by case basis. But they do end up giving bonuses for moving the markets, which is really fucked up. Like Supermicro, who was the main main manufacturer involved, their stock went down like fifty percent. Is that illegal? Days. We'll How's find it? out, right? Well, doesn't that create a sort of perverse incentive exactly. for journalists to create like sensational? That's a terrible moral hazard. I, I mean, I agree. I think that's it's pretty crazy to me. I mean, Bloomberg's argument is uh, it's all truth. So as long as we're sure it's truth, it doesn't matter that. It well, we're finding markets. out that's that showing proper valuations. They're doing their job, and it's showing proper valuations and stuff. But history has shown that not every <laughs> every news story is is hundred percent fact. It's definitely not a hundred percent fact. You can just assume that every news story is not a hundred percent fact, right? Or, or yeah, I mean, when you read a Bitcoin story and you're like, oh my god, they got so much wrong, and then you just realize Bloomberg, what the fuck? I don't like that. Yeah, well, you know, big we'll moral see. hazard. All right. Enough Either way, it doesn't matter, though. That's my point, right? It doesn't matter. You should still just assume that all this shit is compromised. Oh, and the other thing is, is if you order, like, Bitcoin shit online, you have two issues that you're doing. The hardware wallet company or whatever is they have your address now. So if you don't use a P.O. box, they're going to have your address. And then the second thing is, if your government or someone is trying to attack you, they can intercept that wallet in the in transit while it's while it's going through transit and then they they can fuck with your wallet and and possibly compromise it and and take your keys or your computer or anything so like when you buy electronics especially bitcoin specific electronics like you should buy them in a store with cash it's like a really good rule of thumb yep interesting yeah uh make sure get a P.O. box or buy a person in cash. I'm like taking myself. Like, Start getting paranoid, people. No one's going to do it for you. Very paranoid. Um, all right, next topic. Bitcoin Core version 0 0.17 has been released. It's got a couple cool upgrades here. Uh, if you want to check out Bitcoin Magazine, we'll put the link in the description. Aaron Van Weirdham, as always, wrote up a nice sort of description of what, what to look forward to in version 0 0.17 if you decide to upgrade. Uh some of the improvements being improved coin selection, 
uh, easily create and use new wallets. There's a non-HD uh, to HD wallet upgrade, which is going to be really cool. Watch only, only wallets, um, partially signed Bitcoin transactions, pruning from the user interface, uh, which is beginning to separate the node development from the GUI development, I believe. So the first step of that process has begun, and that will create many efficiencies and future upgrades. Matt, what are your thoughts? A GUI is like the interface you see. So instead of like command line, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it has like a graphical interface you can see. Uh, the cool thing uh, is the two cool things for me are, are coin selection, um, which in fee crisis, if we have a fee crisis again where fees are going up really high, it, it, handles, it handles the fee selection way better because you have all these different UTXOs. You have all these different little transactions in your wallet, and when it combines it together, it's going to do it more efficiently. And then the second thing is that that HD wallet feature is basically is, is you can now back up, you could back up your wallet as a seed. Right. And if you already had a wallet before in previous versions, you couldn't switch to seed backup. And now, now you can. So that's okay. useful. Seeds, seeds are nice because it's a really easy way. It's to better back for the up. layman. It's yeah. a really easy way to back up without connecting to the Internet like we were talking about before. Right. Like you don't want to touch the Internet. So if you have a if you have a seed phrase, all you have to do is write that shit down on a piece of paper. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, big upgrade. Uh, and it fixes the most recent vulnerability. So Yeah, I mean, 16.3 did that, so yeah. it was already patched. But, yeah, uh, first major release after the last bug and quick patch. Uh, Murad, anything to say? Have you looked into this? I uh, know I'm a huge fan of Aaron's articles. I read them all religiously, and the second they come out, uh, I really uh, hope he continues doing what he's been doing for the past several years. Uh, in particular, his sort of last uh, series of articles about privacy, uh, privacy in general and B- Bitcoin as a privacy coin and then sort of privacy in the space in general have been um, very illuminating and enlightening. And uh, he's just I, I, th- I think he's number one journalist in oh. uh, like Bitcoin. I said this on Pop's podcast. I said he's far and away the best journalist. Like there's nobody that compares to the caliber of, uh, of writing and synthesis that he does for the space in particular. Agreed. Yeah. The privacy series was dope, too. Yeah, it was really dope. Shout out Aaron Van Weerdum. Aaron, uh, the invitation to the pod is still open. If you're listening to this, <laughs> just want to remind you. Um, yeah, so staying on Bitcoin uh, development and statistics, Segwit adoption just crossed the 50% threshold. Pretty quick, I would say, in yeah, a little well, over a year. Yeah, exactly. That was, I think that's it's phenomenal. Um. And and this is like a perfect example where you have soft incentives. Um, it's a it's a voluntary usage if you want to switch to Segwit transactions, and you you get to save on fees, and and so people's people move. Yeah, well, it was uh, there were some people throwing predictions out like it would never, it wouldn't hit like twenty five percent adoption and within no like two years. Use it. Yeah. yeah, and and the thing is, fees have been super fucking cheap recently, so. Only the beginning part of that was when fees were really expensive. If fees got really expensive again, people would, I, it, those numbers would go up even more. Yeah, when Jameson was on uh, this podcast for Tales from the Crypt, the interview series, he he basically said he wants SegWit adoption to be like as smooth and steady and well-paced as possible because it gives us future uh, breathing room in the scaling debates and the scaling solutions. So uh, if, if we're, we hit sort of, a wall where fees start to go up and we have, let's say 20% uh, 
20% room to, to adopt SegWit addresses, like it gives us a little bit more breathing room in the long run. So it's an interesting yeah, fact. The, the more, the better. Yeah. The big thing was the exchanges started using it, right? As once those, the exchanges are, are sending the majority of, of daily volume. Probably. I assume like by a long shot. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Bitcoin Optech for getting on, on these big economic players and, and educating them on how, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of community pressure. Like literally people like exchanges were getting crucified on Twitter and Reddit and shit for, for not adopting SegWit. They still are awesome. blockchain.info or .com now is still getting. No one uses it anymore. No, don't use that site. No one use that site. Shitty site. Yeah. People have been losing money on that site for fucking five years now. I wonder if people learn. Not going to uh, refute that. Um, what else we got here? Uh, Gemini in short custody. This is actually a pretty big deal. I think this is a big one. Um, so insured by the FDIC, correct? No, no. FDIC no. is insured for dollars, like a regular bank, and then they got Aon on board, ah. like the sponsors of Man United. That's Digital assets insurance, yeah, yeah. To do the to do the crypto, which I I'm I'm not even sure if it does is Coinbase insured custodian. Um, I think they have like I one. I believe that. <clears throat> some parts of their like some like part some sections of their storage are insured by the Lloyds of London. Uh, I think it's like one percent of their cold storage. Right, or something like I that. believe I believe it's that, uh, but I don't think I, I I don't believe they have um, what Gemini has just been able to achieve this quite yet. Class now, right? Um. So, remind me again: is Gemini the only insured one? Because I could have sworn recently. There was an uh, there was someone else announcing sort of an insurance deal as well. Um, was it? Uh, to date, insurers have been hesitant to insure the crypto industry due to a large number of high-profile hacks and have resulted in catastrophic losses over the years. Um, however, we were able to successfully demonstrate to insurers that Gemini, yeah, a New York trust-based company, is any saying? Uh, I don't know if they're the first. There might be another. They're probably not the first because the press release doesn't say they're the first. Yeah, um, that's the usual giveaway. But th these custodians are really big, you know. For for fund managers like like Murad, for instance, like you you don't like where do you store your coins, and and how do your LPs like like trust trust that they're stored well, right? And and if you have a custodian with insurance, that's a big deal. Yeah. So if I remember correctly, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Kingdom Trust. Uh, has yep. also announced that they were insured by Lloyd, Lloyd's of London. Um, so those two sort of are the major uh, announcements that we've seen uh, in the last month sort of in the same V. And Kingdom Trust is is Bitco now, right? Uh, not positive. So I believe that acquisition was blocked by the, oh. by the government. But, uh, Which government? The American, the American government. Or the, the, the financial authorities or something. I, I, once again, I'm not expert on sort of on what went through like during that uh, particular merger or whatever. But um, I believe that as of right now, Kingdom Trust and Bidgo are still separate uh, entities. Interesting. But anyway, the more custodians, the better. Um, I would never advocate for any of our listeners to use a custodian. But uh, you guys are a step above of traditional retail and for a lot of people you know you just you want someone to handle all the nitty-gritty for you you don't want to worry about these hardware acts and all this other shit and uh you just want exposure to bitcoin 
No, creating more peace of mind for investors to be less hesitant to invest in this asset is huge. And also like these VCs, hedge funds, you know, like, like I'm not trying to put them under fire, but like some of these guys, like they have assets under management of like 200 million, like crypto, crypto assets. And like, there's two people that know how to access the ledger that holds it. You know, like that's ridiculous. Like the idea that you're trusting your, you know, your portfolio manager with, with private key security at the same time is, you know, a pretty crazy idea outside of this space. And it only exists because there aren't proper custodians. If they could use an insured custodian, then they don't have to worry about any of that. Yeah. yeah. So it allows more money to come in. It's a huge get, huge get for the industry. Um, shout out Gemini, working hard behind the scenes. They only seem to, they've, they've been, there's no reason to be angry at Gemini. I'm trying to get uh, I'm trying to get one of their lead engineers on the pod, hopefully in the coming weeks, um, to talk about this stuff and, and more. So hopefully we have more in-depth news in Gemini coming in the coming weeks here on Tales from the Crypt. Next story, Bitfinex. Uh, huge, huge cause of controversy in this industry in particular, especially with Tether. People do not like their involvement with Tether and, and how Tether is structured, it looks like. They have a new banking partner. They're no longer with Noble. Uh, they are now with HSBC, uh, which is very good at money laundering, <laughs> as we know from their uh, their ties with uh, Mexican drug cartels in the past. Uh, so it looks like Bitfinex is bank hopping again. I literally could not give less of a shit about Tether and Bitfinex, but it's something people seem to love to talk about. Thoughts? In, in particular, sort of the uh, haircut that they've done to their customers in 2016, a lot of people have been suspicious about sort of their activities ever since. That has really sort of hurt a lot of my friends and their Bitcoin holdings back then. Um, but yeah, we I really hope something like that um, doesn't happen again. Um, them banking with HSBC, net, 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 all things considered is a positive. Mm-hmm. Um, adding a little bit of a legitimacy uh, to some of these exchanges, we know how difficult it is to secure banking relationships for uh, sort of cryptocurrency focused businesses. So I guess that's a step forward and hopefully um, other sort of um, companies that are engaged in uh, cryptocurrency infrastructure will going forward will have an easier time doing that as well. Uh, however, <clears throat> I, I, I personally do not really um, use Bitfinex, mm-hmm. but the, yeah, this news is definitely a positive. Yeah, don't don't use Bitfinex. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they got they got hacked in 2016. I think they lost like almost everything. 116,000 um, Bitcoin, I believe. Yeah, it was and they had like this partnership with Bitco where Bitco was like handling it it was actually one of those situations where Bitfinex was like kind of you know, they kind of got fucked by regulations and it exposed the customer more. So so the regulations said that Bitfinex was operating outside the law because they were holding a shared wallet for all customer funds. So what they did was they, they brought BitGo in, and I think it was it was US regs that they had issues with, and the, they brought BitGo in, and what they basically did was they created a multi-signature wallet for every single customer. So when you had like a wallet on Bitfinex, like you actually had a wallet on the blockchain, uh, like a distinct wallet, and, and the key there was, was all of a sudden Bitfinex wasn't a custodian, so that, you know, it definitely wasn't, a decentralized exchange or P2P or anything, but there was like a little bit of a loophole there 
So they were like, fuck it. We're going to like try and fuck with the regs. And the way they set that up, they like skipped a couple BitGo safety measures and just all of them got drained. They just got like, <laughs> absolutely drained. And then they issued that Bitfinex token that was all the money they lost was representative in the token. But it like traded at a discount for such a long time that basically the theory is that Bitfinex then bought all the tokens up at like a super discount. So like basically everyone took like a 75% haircut because no one thought they were going to pay it all back. And they, then they, they presumably you could have waited to get your token at full, at full return. But, but most people never did. Um, at the end of the day, Bitfinex is a bucket shop. It breaks the US regs. Uh, they've been around since 2013. So clock is ticking. These things never last for long, but they've been profitable. And, uh, unfortunately they also, I think they, they either own an operate or like kind of quasi own and operate tether as well. So they're like really connected. So, so basically using tether Bitfinex is able to finagle their banking relationships into banking relationships for like a ton of different altcoin exchanges because mm-hmm. their primary fiat is, is tether. Uh, but I, I, I think they're probably full reserve. They're made, they're super profitable. It's just, they're a bucket shop. So like anytime like us government, it's always, it's, it's their biggest threat. Isn't that they're running a fractional reserve. I think the biggest threat is that like at any time they could be run one brokered, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I never used Bitfinex. Don't plan on ever using it. Um, it is a bit of an ulcer on the ass of this industry. It has been just, I'm just tired of people talking about it. Tired of Bitfinex and all all the Tether accounts and stuff like that. Like the sooner it goes away, the better in my mind. Uh, I'm gonna keep my Bitcoin there. It's my two cents. My two Satoshis. Um, last topic we he have. Rolled his eyes while he said that. So we <laughs> crucify him. Uh, last topic we have. Uh, we got a backed competitor announced this week. Eris Exchange to create a crypto market backed by. DRW and Virtue. Um, so very similar product structure to what Bax created, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a big deal because it's big guys, right? Yeah, yeah, Eric's Exchange is big out of Chicago. This is what I'm talking about. Like, there's no way, like, how do we hit, like, the kind of capitulation lows that we hit in 2015, 2014, when all these motherfuckers are, like, all releasing shit that is, like, craziness? This is, like, that... These are big ass players. Murad, would you like to respond? <clears throat> yeah, as I've said, I the in some ways fundamentals are better, but you also need to understand that during the last cycle, um every single person was a de, de facto Bitcoin maximalist. Right now, you have so many altcoins, so many ICOs, so many different things um that um a lot of people are sort of spreading this uncertainty about monetary dynamics of these assets. We need to also understand that the market caps are much bigger. Who is to say how far out of touch with reality the move from 3K to 20K in 2017 really was? And and um, was that like too much or was that just right? Have we already sort of exhausted all the sellers or have we not? And there are really sort of two schools of thoughts on this. Uh, one school of thought is that these top to top market cycles in Bitcoin are getting longer and longer. Uh, this is essentially the fourth cycle that we're going through right now or 
third and a half if if you count like the very first early ones. But the uh, the two previous cycles, uh, if you sort of uh, graph them uh, on sort of uh, if if you sort of plot them on a graph, they've been getting longer and longer in terms of time. And uh, if you believe that sort of hyper Bitcoinization and Bitcoin's purchasing power is growing, uh, if you sort of strip the emotions away, if it's growing in a logarithmic fashion, then it kind of makes sense that the cycles are getting longer. Uh, sort of. So that's sort of one theory. The other theory that sort of going forward, uh, they are likely to be sort of punctuated by four year cycles um, due to halvings. Uh, I personally consider halvings to be the single most important fundamental uh, quote unquote event that happens. I would agree. Uh, in Bitcoin's history, because like, as I like to say, to me, Bitcoin's value, uh, like unseizability, uncensorability are cool, but monetary policy and Bitcoin's uninflatable nature is by far the most important characteristic of it. And really, um, halvings are the events that take us closer and closer to that completely uninflatable reality uh, in sort of the most uh, sharp, in the sharpest fashion, all right? And so um, I do expect there to be... Uh, I do expect us to already be bullish in 2020. I do expect sort of a, a, a big, another big blow off top uh, by late 2021. But um, if people realize that the the next bull market, it's not imminent, but it's only going to come in 2020, uh, then I think a lot of impatient people and a lot of weekends would could dump here. Um, so it's all about the sort of short-term trader games versus sort of long-term value investor, long-term hodler, believer, um, holding preferences. And if people, if, if I think many, many people, especially sort of smaller, smaller um, current ho holders uh, who don't individually have a lot, but there's like a lot of them around the world, if they believe that this sort of speculative asset, it's not like the, if, if they don't think that it's going to go into the sky like immediately or in the next couple of months, some of those people might dump. And I think like that could be one of the reasons why a capitulation could still happen. Mm -hmm. That sound that's very solid argument and thesis right there. And uh, just to throw in the uh, the canned disca uh, disclaimer, this is not financial advice. Uh, we're here. Can we just, just discuss it? We should have like a recording of that in the beginning. We should just throw that in there. Did you hear Palm's recording? No, it's like thirty seconds of disclaimer. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not big on disclaimer. I'm not an RIA, so I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, honestly, guys, it's like anything you put into this, you could lose it all. Um, yeah, and don't and if you don't know how to trade, do not play the trading game. Okay, so anyway, like, know your strengths. With Murad, there's two things. The first thing is, every time this motherfucker speaks, I just want a FOMO market buy. Like he's like he's like telling us his bear thesis, right? And at the same time, I I just. I love the halvings as well, Murad. Um, they're just supply shocks. They're like these crazy, like, pro we know that they're existing, that they're coming in the future, but, but they don't get priced in right away. It's the most ridiculous thing. One second. I'll hand you back the mic. We're, we're sitting on the couch right now, handing the mic back and forth. It's kind of intimate. Um, <laughs> I feel like a lot of retail, a lot of impatient retail, have already gotten fucking wrecked in the altcoin collapse and are just constantly getting wrecked on BitMEX. They're just going leverage long or short and there's this whole way they've just been getting liquidated the, the whole fucking time. 
And in 2015, we did have altcoins. We had all, Ethereum launched in the middle of the bear market. Like it was Bitcoin 2.0, like Bitcoin was going to fail. And, and we had this new exciting technology. Like it, if anything, like the alt, altcoin narrative, I think was like stronger back then. I would disagree. I would say that the altcoin narrative is much stronger uh, today. Um, there are a lot more sort of altcoin teams that are actually like taking this thing seriously. Although I personally believe that the vast majority of them will fail and Bitcoin is just so far ahead in terms of its monetary networks. But the two things I'd like to say is this. Um, if we go for, for, for simplicity's sake, if we go off of the 21 million number, uh, Bitcoin's stock to flow or the supply inflation, um, in the next halving, it will drop from 3.8% to 1.7%. And I think like that will make people realize that will be such a big step once again towards people being to um, palpably realize just how hard and sound this money is. And will be that is sort of the catalyst of um, the next big bull wave. I will give you a good statistic. Uh, during the 2012 halving, that was priced in six months in advance. Mm hmm. The 2016 halving was priced in n roughly nine months in advance. Of course, there's as there are more and more eyeballs on this asset and as more and more people are analyzing this event, I would imagine that once again, um, it would, in this case, it would probably be start, like the speculation around the halving would start 10 to 13 months uh, ahead of, of halving. So around like Memorial Day next year. Right. And the other thing I would like to say is that I don't want to sound conspiratorial, but big whales and big in trade traders in this asset class as of right now, uh, due to its illiquid nature especially, they can really sort of um, engineer, uh, financially engineer these sort of liquidity events. And they can um, create sort of an initial like mini dump or a mini pump and a lot of so sort of FOMO, either FOMO investors or scared weak hands, they can really sort of... Um, accentuate that move mm -hmm. and so um in in the short term in the long term for most people the best thing is just to hold, hold this asset because uh, i'm sure as as all three of us are we're very long-term bullish but in the short term um sort of big investors big traders uh they can sort of take tweak and take the market to in in the in their preferred direction in the short term and um i think there are a lot of people that want to sort of enter Bitcoin that want to do it at slightly cheaper prices than it is today. Um, and uh, there are sort of people with a kind of power to m make Bitcoin go just a bit lower as well as, as well as, as well as much higher uh, from, from these levels mm -hmm. uh, because they want to transfer sort of uh, the wealth and they want to transfer these scarce illiquid coins from um, retail and sort of investors and weak hands into their pockets and so that that is sort of one of the scenarios that we should be considering as well yeah no uh especially with how nation and small uh the bitcoin market is compared to the more traditional financial and asset markets of the world it makes complete sense that whales would be able to move the price and they definitely have in the past and will continue to in the future it's just playing within the ripples of the waves they make yeah, they, they want to get as good of a buy price as possible. Yeah. Um, so like I so do you want I mean, you're you're going away. You come back in January, right? Yes. So, so should we should we make 
Should we make a steak dinner bet on on the price? Is it gonna? Be, I'll take I'll take over. It'll be will be higher than we are right now in January. And what's the price right now, Marty? Uh, it's at six six two five right now. On six six two five. So I say it's gonna be higher than six six two five. You say lower steak dinner. So um, like the the collapse could happen like as early as November or December as well. Uh, I don't want to speculate on sort of your proposed criteria, but I am. I would say that I do expect Bitcoin to breach um, its yearly lows. Mm -hmm. And I will make a bet that it is likely, in my opinion, to go below 5,500, if that's something that you're interested in considering. All right, let's put a date on it. January 1st. I'm siding with Murad on this bet. January 1st. You Look. guys have below 5,500. I have above 5,500. So my view I thought it was 6,625. So this is, this is the statement that I'm willing to sort of bet a steak dinner on. We will go below 5,500 um, by January 1st. No, no. So, so I can't recover in time, right? So, if if so, you 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 think we might go below and then recover by January? I'm trying to make a hodler's bet, is what I'm trying to make. I'm trying to say that when you come back, you're going on your trips and stuff. When you come back, if you just didn't pay attention to any of that, you know, we're going to be above the price we're at right now. Um, sure. I I sure. Um, for for sort of interests and excitement sake i will bet that the price on january 1st will be lower than it is today Perfect. i'm i'm sorry murad on this awesome um i look forward to the dinner one way or murad's right. made some very good bets uh i've i've been on the wrong side of a couple of them yeah there's like uh there's uh, about half a dozen steak dinners that i have been <laughs> on the receiving end of in the last couple of months so <clears throat> I, I, I'm not uh, obviously not all of my predictions were perfect, but the majority of them so far have been more or less correct. Um, so just to reiterate, if 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 we win, then you are buying a steak dinner for me and Marty. And if you win, then me and Marty are buying a steak dinner for you. Do you guys you guys buy me two steak dinners, right? I'll buy you one. Yeah, sure. Works. Only fair. Only fair. Only fair. Um, I just want to say that that I don't bet against the bit. So if, if, <laughs> if you want a free steak at any point, all you have to do is tell me that it's going to go down in price and you, you get one. So 6,700, right? So the bet- 6,625. 6,625. To be precise. Okay. So uh, 6,625, uh, lower than that price in January 1st. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> I think that's an easy bet. I think that's an easy bet on tax purposes alone. Shaking. We're shaking hands right now. Hands have been shook. Um, another bet. We're gonna we're gonna pivot here. Murad, keep the mic. We're gonna pivot here from cryptocurrency and to another bet that you made, and it, was, it came became successful. The fight over the weekend, Khabib over McGregor. What were your thoughts? I know you're a big Khabib fan, big UFC fight. It was yeah. insane. Um, I mean, I had almost zero doubts in my mind that Khabib <laughs> would win. Uh, I bet one of my friends that uh, Khabib would bet this fight, uh, and I got paid. So. Um, everything essentially happened exactly the way I expected. Um, Habib is, was 26-0 before the fight, 27-0 right now. He's really just an indestructible machine. I think he's the, the most, uh, the, the, the strongest lightweight fighter in UFC history without a single shred of doubt. The, uh, the video of him wrestling a bear when he was like six years old, I just found that this weekend. It was like, oh my God, this dude was bred to fight. Uh... Any any thoughts on the after after match 
after match brawls. Yeah, I, I don't think that was particularly gentlemanly. Uh, <laughs> it, it, would be, it would be much more elegant if he sort of just um, just sort of stayed in the octagon and received his belt, etc. <laughs> but, um, you know, it got extremely heated. It got extremely personal. Yeah. Me being from, uh, me, me growing up just a couple hundred miles away from where Habib was born, I sort of understand how that culture works. And um, compared to sort of the West, people there don't really take offense towards their family nation religion quite lightly mm-hmm. so and i mean um it's obvious that things can get very heated and very emotional in the spur of the moment um during such high stakes and nerve uh, wrecking events but really that that's not important i mean uh, conor mcgregor has engaged in inappropriate behavior many 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 times himself mm-hmm. uh, over the last several years so uh, what's more interesting to me is the fight itself and i mean uh, habib won fair and square so that's that yeah, no, and I do, I do like what he said in the post game or post fight presser, where he's like, "This is a, this is a sport of, of respect," and I think that should be respected uh, it, going it was forward. Just badass! I want more, more. Oh, uh, there's gonna be, there's gonna be, there's gonna be, they're gonna fight at least two more times, I would imagine. No, but I mean, I want, I want more jumping over. Jumping nah, it's over gonna ruin events. the sport. It's gonna ruin the sport. It's fantastic. I mean, it it's great for us. TV. But they're trying to alienate themselves from like the WWE, and, and if you let that I stuff know, happen, this was real, right? That's this was cool uh, this was very it. real, very real. Apparently, there was like fights all over the concourse. Like, like it was like a yeah, I love a madhouse. I, think that's so I don't badass. think I'll ever go to a UFC fight. There's too much testosterone. Would you go to a, like a gladiator fight? I don't think so. Uh, like, if I was a say, Roman, no, two thousand years ago, people on death row. And if they survive, if they survive the gladiator fight, they become free. Would you go and watch that? No, I think we've evolved past past that type of savagery. Uh, I would hope. Would you watch that, Murat? No, I, I don't like to condone violence too much. Yeah. Okay, then no comment. All right. Uh, anything pressing you gentlemen would like to touch on before we wrap this up? You got anything? I just want to I want to thank Murad for coming over. This was pretty great. We had him in town, so I, I figured it'd be a, a net. We we both figured it'd be a, a net benefit for all you guys. Yeah, he's one of uh, my favorite people to talk about Bitcoin with we're in just, the world. We're just trying to no set template. Just fuck around and 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 make it work for you guys. Yeah. So if you're liking it, all right, Murad. And me and Marty have spent an amazing weekend in Riga at the Bitcoin Honey Badger Conference. I strongly, strongly encourage all the listeners to attend uh, Bitcoin Honey Badger 2019. And if you are listening to this podcast right now and we see you there uh, next year, definitely come by, say hi. Uh, It is one of the top three or four Bitcoin conferences every year. Uh, Strongly recommended. All the Bitcoiners, all the legends are going to be there. So uh, definitely, definitely uh, come. Shout out to Hoddle Hoddle. It's an incredible conference. Just... Murad can go fuck himself. It's like <laughs> I got my flight canceled and I couldn't make it this year. It's okay, Matt. There's always next year. Um, I was talking to my grandmother. She used to do radio in the 50s, and she was amazed we don't get kicked off the radio for cursing. Hey, uh, grandmother Odell? It's that side of the family? Mother's side? Yeah. Mother's side or your father's side? Well, we're trying to... Oh, it's my, it's my father's side. Okay, and grandma... It's not actually doxing me because I've already given up that information. Grandma Odell, um, I'm sorry for cursing. I'm sorry for so vulgar. No, no, she thought it was badass. <laughs> she thought it was badass. Um, but with all that being said, Murad, thank you again for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Always happy to talk to you boys. Um, looking forward to more episodes of Tales from the Crypt as well as Rabbit Hole Recap. 
uh, one of the biggest listeners uh, and uh, hope the franchise becomes um, even even bigger and thrives. It is one of my favorite podcasts. And once again, thank you for the invite. Oh, you're too kind. You're too kind. Bang, if, bang. if you freaks agree with Murad, please go rate, subscribe, and share our podcast on your preferred podcast platform. Thanks for joining us. Peace and love.